Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Living the Sky Life. Today's guest is Vidya Banerjee. She is the mom of a teenager on the autism spectrum who also has an additional diagnosis of Landau-Kleffner syndrome. He is nonverbal and uses an AAC device to communicate. Vidya started a blog called Autism Family Story in 2019 to help fellow parents with tips and strategies she learned over the years in raising her son. Vidya also recently started the Autism Family Story podcast as a way to connect with even more fans. It is her mission to build a community for parents of children with autism, as she knows firsthand raising a child with ASD can be very overwhelming and isolating. So please enjoy my conversation with Vidya. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is Vidya. So welcome to the podcast. We're going to get into all the things autism. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and your family. Um, You have mentioned to me in the past, um, and I've seen through your social media and your um, podcast and all the things, which we'll talk about, um, a little bit about your 15-year-old son, Arian. Is that, am I pronouncing it correctly? Uh, That's correct. His name is Arian. That's correct. So how did your journey into autism begin? How did that become a part of your everyday vocabulary? Okay, so um, our son, Arian, he was born in November 2005. So from the very beginning, Arian was a very quiet baby and he achieved all his milestones. So there was never any cause for us for any worries or concerns. But things started changing when Arian turned 18 months of age. And I think it's at that time he started showing some classic signs, like he was not responding when we called out his name. He loved being alone. He never played with toys. Uh, He uh, toe walked. He does it till today. Like he has never walked flat, you know, even till today he toe walks. But, you know, me and my husband, uh, we missed out on those signs because at that time autism, you know, was not known to us. It was not in our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was Arian's grandmother, my mother-in-law. She's a special needs teacher. Oh. And it is her, yes, in the U.S. She's in the U.S. She's a special needs teacher. So it's her who expressed to first time that there was a possibility that Arian might have autism. So I think that's the first time in our life I even heard the word autism. So at that time, you know, uh, we were so concerned because in my mind, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe my mother-in-law is wrong. Maybe our son, you know, he's a little slow in development. So anyway, but, you know, as the time started progressing, we started noticing those signs as well, because at that time we started getting familiar with autism. I started to do a lot of reading just to understand what autism was. And then we scheduled a appointment with uh, Arian's pediatrician. And it was quite surprising that he never mentioned, you know, any concerns when we used to go for the monthly visits. He mm-hmm. never mentioned to us anything about Arian's autism. So we brought it to, our att- to his attention first that we are suspecting Arian might have autism diagnosis. So from there on, the things started progressing. So what the pediatrician did is he scheduled an appointment for uh, us and Arian to meet early interventionists. So, uh, you know, we of course had to wait for a couple of months. So finally, the day of the appointment, we were in a room, Arian, my husband, me, and the two early interventionists. And I think at this time, Arian was almost, I think two at that time. And they asked him to do simple things, but I think the regression had set in by then and Arian was not able to perform those simple tasks. 
So after the appointment, we came out and they mentioned to us that there was some problem in his development and we had to wait for a formal diagnosis. So uh, I don't know about the US, but in Canada, we have to wait one year to get a formal diagnosis. So it was quite heartbreaking. So mm -hmm. from two until the year, uh, two years of age, he finally got diagnosed with autism in 2008 when he turned three months, uh, sorry, three years old. So basically that's how my journey started into the world of autism. Did it, it seems like um, just from your mention of bringing it up to the um, pediatrician, was the doctor pretty open or was were they pretty hesitant when you brought up autism to them? Did they dismiss it and say, no, I don't, I don't think that it's that, or did they jump right in and get the early interventionist involved? Uh, no, the doctor was quite open. Uh, you That's know, he, great. Uh, he listened to us, he understood our concerns and he was very open to it. So we really appreciate it. That, uh, I think that was the most important thing because then the ball started rolling. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, you know, start the, uh, you know, getting Arian in the, I get uh, in the assessment, um, you know, queue, mm -hmm. basically. Did you have to wait a year because the waiting list was so long? Or do you have, do you have to wait until a certain age for them to see a, a formal diagnosis for them to be seen? No, I think in Canada, it's the wait list is that long because yeah. there are so many kids waiting to get a diagnosis. It is, I mean, there's different parts of the country where it's different, where, you know, the waiting list isn't as long, but for my son, we had to wait a little bit over a year. We put him on the list at, I think, age two. And then it was a little after his third birthday that we finally got in. And it's crazy because you wait so long in the appointment, probably took about 15 minutes. She took one look at him and she's like, oh my gosh, yes. You know, he's classic. Oh, of course, yes. The appointment yeah. is so short, but yes, that wait is so long. It's it's really hard when you're waiting for that long, even though you know and you suspect that, mm -hmm. you know, this is autism, but, you know, you're still waiting to get a formal diagnosis so you can put the right supports and services in place for the kids. And it's hard too to wait that long because I don't know about you, but I was obsessed as soon as the um, therapists for his developmental delays and things like that were mentioning the word. I was obsessed for an entire year trying to read everything I could and almost like talk myself out of the fact that he probably had autism. I was trying to find anything else that it could be. Um, and it makes you crazy to wait that long and you can't get services until you have the official diagnosis anyway. So. Oh, I think I was exactly in the same shoes like you. I was on Dr. Google, I guess. I started doing, you know, all the research, reading about uh, autism. And, you know, back in the day, I'm sure, Laurie, there was not so much available like, you know, today. Today, there's uh, social media, there is uh, webinars, there's podcasts, there's so many things available today. But I think when our children got diagnosed back in the day, there was not so much available. So I think it was Dr. Google to the rescue. So mm -hmm. basically, I was exactly in the same position like you as well. Well, and you have an older son, Aaron, who is uh, three years older than Arian. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. He's 19 now. Yeah. Yes. And he, so um, I, I imagine if you go back and look at things, my daughter is younger than my son. So Skylar was my first child. So um, did you notice, I guess, looking back, maybe the development of Aaron was significantly different than the development of Arian when they were at the same age, like two and three? I think it was definitely different. Now, when I look back, uh, there was a big difference in their development, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, it suddenly started hitting, you know, when we got that autism diagnosis, you know, then in my mind, I used to compare, you know, what would Aaron do at that time? You know, this is something Arian is not doing. So I think at that time, it became more and more, um, I think, apparent that mm -hmm. their development was quite different. Yeah. So what is Arian's communication like um, from an early age? Did he have language? Does he have language now or does he use mostly AAC to communicate or, or how does he interact with the family? So uh, Arian, you know, he started babbling when he was 18 months of age. And I think at that time, because the regression had already started, so he never really developed any verbal speech. So that's the first time when he got the autism diagnosis. And then suddenly he was quiet. You know, we never heard any words, no vocalizations. 
but then maybe when he was five years of age, all of a sudden there was explosion of words, just single words. So that was really, you know, so amazing. And I still remember I had a running list on my fridge and every day we used to hear this new words, pop-up words here and there. And I used to run and jot down those words. So I remember at one point of time, Arian had around 100 single words. And then all of a sudden, I think maybe a year down from there, he became silent once again. So, you know, we were doing speech therapy and we had this speech therapist come to our house. And when he heard that Arian lost his speech a second time, he was very concerned. And he advised us that we need to speak to a neurologist because this doesn't look good. So again, we had to go to the pediatrician, you know, get a referral to the neurologist, which took a few months. And the neurologist, upon hearing that Arian had lost its speech a second time, was very, very concerned. So he sent us to Sick Kids Hospital. I don't know if you have heard about it. It's a very world famous hospital in Canada for sick kids. Okay. So we were sent to that hospital to do a EEG for Arian to rule out the possibility of seizures. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, the diagnosis came back positive that Arian had a secondary diagnosis called. Not many people know about it. I don't know if you are familiar with it, Lando Kleffner syndrome. So that's okay. the rare uh, seizure diagnosis which Arian has. And the statistics show that one in 200,000 kids have that diagnosis. So Arian lost his voice and he never spoke again. So in the meanwhile, we were using PECS like everybody else to communicate with him. Then when he turned seven in 2012, we got introduced to AAC and Arian got Proloco to go. I'm sure you, you must have heard Proloco to go. So Arian yep. got introduced to Proloco to go. And, and he had he the device take, the longest. Did he take very well to PAX and Proloco? I mean, does, is he like fluent on it and, and can navigate all around on there? Uh, with the Proloco to go, Arian was able to navigate the system. But as you know, with our children, the motivation is so limited. So if he wanted something, he could go to his device, navigate and you know tell us, I want this, I want that. What we struggled with, and even we struggle with today is the initiation part. So it's that initiating the use of the device. That is the hard part. So we had it for eight years and slowly I saw that Arian was not uh, using that device anymore to communicate. So last year we changed and we went to touch chat and Arian is really, liking that device he's initiating a bit more than he did with proloco to go mm -hmm. so now we are using touch chat and as you know laurie it is a lot of modeling a lot of aided language input so it is a lot of work it's a lot of hard work but i'm noticing that arian is liking that device and he's very much motivated to communicate with the touch chat than he was with the proloco to go so i'm hoping that uh, slowly hopefully arian should be able to initiate more that's so great to continue to, I feel like that's what I've tried to do with Skylar. Maybe he doesn't feel like I have, but I mean, we, since he was three, we've tried sign language and pecs and back and forth and we, it didn't work. And then, you know, I'd wait five, 10 years and then we'd try it again. And we've done Proloquo a couple of times. And it's just, he's just not, like you said, he's not motivated to use it. And his mo motor skills and motor planning is, still quite a bit delayed. And so even on Proloquo, just navigating around, he scrolls away from the screens that he needs on accident because, I mean, even if you're, the side of your wrist possibly hits one of the buttons, then it messes up what you were asking for. And I mean, it can easily frustrate our kids, you know, to say, forget this. And the noises, and I mean, like the, the voices, I've tried all different female and male and kids and adults, and he doesn't really like any of that. <laughs> So it's so hard. I, I can understand. It, it's really hard. And I think Arian struggles with the same problem like Skylar. His motor skills are delayed as well. So it's really hard. Even Pex, in the beginning, he was okay. I think till phase uh, one, two, and I, I think maybe phase three, he was okay with it. But then he started struggling with Pex. So I think with our children, it's a lot of the motors, motor skills, motor planning, that plays a big role as well uh, with our children. And I think motivation, that is the biggest factor, I think, which determines the success for any AAC with our children. Mm-hmm.
Well, with he and Aaron still, you know, being relatively close in age growing up, how did they interact? I'm always curious when um, guests have multiple children, neurotypical and neurodiverse, and just what their interaction is like, especially with two boys or two girls. I have one of each. So there are times where I think my daughter always tried to play with him when they were little, but she just really didn't know how to engage him. He just ignored her. And, you know, of course, these teen years, they are in two separate spaces and they don't want to be anywhere near each other. Um, so what has the transition for your boys been like? I think uh, for my boys, it was hard as well because I was raising one neurotypical child and one neurodivergent child. So I think Aaron, you know, he struggled in the beginning with Arian's diagnosis. Of course, he was younger as well and he didn't know what autism was. So I think he was shying away from Arian. Like he loved his brother. He loved being around him, but he, of course, didn't know how to engage with him. Uh, they missed out on that sibling bond bonding, which our children miss out on those mm -hmm. fights or, you know, those activities which uh, neurotypical children do. So they missed out on that. And I'm sure you have done that too. Our uh, neurodivergent kids, they need so much of our attention and time that I think I missed out on that bonding with Aaron. And he started developing a resentment, not towards his brother, but towards me, towards us, the parents. And he used to always say, mom, you don't love me. You don't, Aww. you guys don't spend any time with me. So that was really heartbreaking. Now, when I look back at this phase of, uh, you know, I think our journey. So I think he struggled with, of course, understanding the diagnosis. Now that he's 19, he's in a better position to understand why we did the things, why we had to spend more time with Arian. Today, I think they share a much better relationship because um, Aaron is very much inclined to help Arian with learning different tasks and mm -hmm. the way he connects with him. Uh, he sits with him. He tries to spend some time with his brother, even though the relationship is, of course, different than the neurotypical kids. But it's very heartwarming to watch them spend some time together, which they... So uh, like today, uh, I'm saying because Aaron is 19 now, he understands about autism, he understands why we had to spend so much time with Arian when they were younger. Mm -hmm. Today, he is very close to his brother. He tries to spend some time with him. He tries to help him in different activities. So it is really very heartwarming, heartwarming for us to see that, that they are finally bonding as siblings. So it's very heartwarming to see. Yeah, it, I'm sure it is. Is Aaron in a place um, at his age um, that you guys are aware of? To talk about the future? Is that a conversation that's come up? I get asked this question a lot from um, people who've written to me and said, you know, when, when do you feel like you should have the conversation with your neurotypical child about the future? Um, mine are only 16 and 18. And I don't know that there's a perfect age. Um, I've brought it up a little bit with my daughter and she's like, I don't really want to talk about that right now. And I'm like, okay, we won't talk about it. I'll just readdress it when you're ready. Um, I just don't oh, ever want them to carry that burden that even mm -hmm. though they're planning college and they're doing all their things that in the back of their mind, they're like, I kind of need to pick something where my brother could live with me or, you know, and I'm going to have to take care of him in the future. And that's just such a huge weight on them. Oh, of course, I totally agree, uh, Laurie. Uh, I'm sure all of us uh, parents, we struggle with having that conversation with our neurotypical kids. We did have a conversation with Aaron, I think a couple of years ago, where we sat down and we explained to him that, uh, you know, after us, he was the one who uh, was going to be more responsible uh, for Arian, you know, to take care of him. Maybe Arian can live with him. But of course, we also specified that we didn't want to put that responsibility on him. If he was willingly, uh, if he willingly wanted to take that responsibility, we would appreciate it. But we wanted to not put any kind of a pressure on him. And Aaron mentioned to us that he wanted to help out and he wanted to take that responsibility, you know, taking care of his brother. So of course, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but at least as of now, he's open to that possibility without us putting any kind of, I think, pressure on mm -hmm. him. Because that's what, you know, a lot of parents, I think they struggle. They just tell them, no, you have to do it, which is totally wrong. You know, we have to just give them the options and then see, you know, what is what are their, I guess, thoughts on that. So as of now, Aaron is quite open to the possibility of that, helping us out and being mm -hmm. there for his brother. 
so you know we really appreciate that but i guess uh, it is very important for parents to have that conversation uh, with their neurotypical kids yeah and i think i mean all i can do as skylar's mom for as long as i'm here is just to plan for his future and you know just if i feel like there is going to be a living situation that's you know not conducive to him living with his sister and her family and like all of that i just you know researching and finding maybe to some you know locations of facilities or places that i scout out now and just kind of look into and getting you know finances in in order for for skylar and for his care and at the most i would hope that my daughter manages all of that you know and takes care of him financially that his trust goes in the right places and all of that stuff um and she can't physically be in charge of him in her home but you know hopefully they will live close by she'll visit him at his facility i don't know <laughs> if i raise them right because, <laughs> of course of course but they because uh, you know our uh, neurotypical kids they will have their own life yeah they will have their own careers they will have their own life so you're right we also have to start thinking out of the box and start thinking about alternative arrangements as well even me and my husband we are we speak about it regularly as well what are the other options you know so that way you know you're not just depending because you know things might change in the future you know something might come up so it's always important that you have an alternative plan as well yep. in place <laughs> and we don't sleep because that's all we think about <laughs> Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you started um a blog back in 2019, I believe, called Autism Family Story, which is also your Instagram page and um everything is kind of tied to that as well as your podcast. Um so tell tell me a little bit why it was important to you to, you know, maybe it was healing for you to to blog about all of these things and share your experiences with other families that are in similar circumstances. I think uh, lori healing was i think of course the most important part for starting this blog but you know personally like both of us have been there how isolating and overwhelming parenting a child with autism is it's been a very long journey for you for me and i'm sure for many other parents and over the years parenting our children we learn so much we gain so much knowledge so i wanted to share that knowledge with other parents who are just starting out this journey or maybe they are already on the journey but they are lost they don't have the proper supports or maybe they don't have resources to get the services but and they are looking for help so i thought this was the best way for me to connect to those parents to empower them to help their own children but of course healing i think for myself that was also a major part in starting the blog is there a pretty supportive um area or group or any of those things in the general area of where you live in Canada or is Canada in general pretty good with resources i don't really have much knowledge about the support overall that you guys receive in Canada i'm friends with several um canadian parents and moms uh with children on the spectrum but i i'm not really familiar with what your benefits and things are like versus and here in canada there are lots of supports and services available but the thing is you need to pay for it so uh. it's very that's the thing uh, you know there are long wait list of course you know if you have to get any services you go on a wait list like to get autism diagnosis arian had to wait for a year and mm -hmm. once the child gets the diagnosis then they are put on a second wait list to get government funded aba or ibi that is what they call it for 40 hours a week but then that wait list was 3 years Oh so we had to wait goodness. for 3 years to get you know the further aba or ibi for arian so yes there are lots of supports and services when they are younger but the thing is you need to pay out of your pocket so it kind of gets expensive and then the older the children get i'm sure i don't know about the states but there are less and less services available so that is really very hard yep everything you said is identical yes <laughs> you know we <laughs> ABA was brand new um when Skylar was little we had a um a woman who was certified BCBA come to our home and um it was just overwhelming cuz it was back in the you know they need 40 hours which they probably still say that um you know throughout the week and it's intense and it was it was more the intense ABA version that first started um and I know there's tons of controversy around ABA and I I won't get into all of that but um it just seemed like 
it, it didn't seem to me, even at the age of three, four, whatever, that that those type of skills, like matching the picture of a pencil to an actual pencil, and that that was going to serve him well in learning to communicate, learning all these things. But we went with it for a little while. I, I'm glad to see that ABA has evolved a lot in the way that it's introduced and the way that it's, you know, I don't, I don't know, just the goals, different things are, are so different. I love the ABA program that Skylar is in and has been in for the last, gosh, 10 years, I think. Um, oh, wow. Because that, we work amazing. on I think so many things that are relevant to his day-to-day. -day. It's, um, I'm just so proud of him for all the things that he's doing. He's just not the child that can be in, in, intertwined into any kind of school system. He needs one-on-one -on -one support throughout the day and nobody has the capabilities or the funding to provide that. And so I just don't wanna force him to be in a, a, a typical quote unquote situation when it's just not the best for him. It's just really not. So um, I don't know if you guys have educational issues like that as well, where they kind of are forced to be um, included into general education type classes or if there are autism centers or places that they can go that better serve their needs? Our situation was a bit different. So what happened is when my son uh, was in the process of getting assessed for autism diagnosis, we had an early interventionist coming home once a month to engage with Arian. And, you know, Arian was regressing so quickly that it was really hard for her, even her to engage with him. And as a mother, it was heartbreaking for me to watch my son not being able to engage. So I asked the early interventionist, I wanted to really help my son, but I didn't know how I could do it. And she said, if you really want to help your son, go back to school. So I think I took up that offer. I went back to school. I did my autism graduation certificate and I became my son's therapist. So yes, we were doing ABA privately and before he also got picked up by the government, but then I was working with him at home because going to school, it really made me understand the program. And it's an amazing program because they work on so many skills. Mm -hmm. so that was the first part. So uh, we started private ABA, you know, I think when Arian turned three, in the beginning, we started just with an hour because, you know, he didn't have the capacity to sit through for, you know, two hours, three hours a day. So we had to do what was best for him. So we started with an hour, then we increased it to two. By the time Arian got picked up by the government program, he was seven. So at that time, the problem, Laurie, is there are so many children waiting on the wait list to get that program that they want to, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what word I should use here, that they want to terminate the child services after six months. Mm -hmm. Like they don't want the children to be in the program longer because there are other kids waiting in the line. So, yeah. and you know, our children, they need a lot of time to learn those skills. It's not like, you know, you go today and in six months, they are going to complete all those skills. So they wanted Arian out of the program, maybe in six months. And he's not the only one. I'm sure there are other children as well. So at that time, we had to advocate for him to continue in the program, so which we did. So he got an extension. He was able to stay in the program a little longer. But at that time, we realized uh, it was better for Adrian to go to school. In a, so he started going to a community classroom where there were four to five children just like him when there was one teacher and three assistants. So he continued with the community classroom. Now he's in grade 11. So now he's in a DD room, like a developmentally delayed room where there are multiple disabilities, kids with multiple disabilities. And uh, he has come a long way. So I think ABA, but ABA pay, played a very big part in Arian's um, learning of the skills. Mm -hmm. And of course the carryover at home, I was rel relentless. I used to sit in all the therapies. I used to learn as much as I can because you know, the therapists spend what, an hour or two with our kids. We are the ones who are with them for the rest of the time. So mm -hmm. it was so important. I had to learn speech therapy, occupational therapy, ABA, whatever. Uh, he used to go to school a couple of days a week. So, he, you know, I had to take all that information and practice it with him. So, you know, at least maybe five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. But Arian has come a long way today. So it was a lot of hard work. Of course, on our children's part, they work so much harder mm -hmm. than all the other kids. And I really, really admire and appreciate them. I appreciate how far Arian has come. And we were told, I'm sure you must have been told the same thing. 
at the age of three, that Aryan will not be able to do a lot of things. And today, yes, there are some challenges and I know they will still remain and that's okay. They don't have to be perfect, but he has come such a long way and they have a long way to go. So I really appreciate that. So those yeah. were kind of our challenges, I guess. They Quite never similar stop. to you. They never stop learning, never stop growing. I mean, one of my dear friends that I've met in this autism village, uh, that uh, you probably know her, Kelly, um, from Growing Up Stephen. She's become a good friend of mine. And um, Stephen's 31. And she tells me all the time when I get frustrated because Skylar's 18 and isn't communicating much yet. Um, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm telling you just continue to be patient. I know it's terrible to say, but um, she said, you know, Stephen made some of the most impressive progress in different areas from 18 to 25. There's just something about that maturity that, you know, grown up age that they really come a long way. And I've seen a lot with Skylar just since he turned 18 in April, there's been a lot of change. So I think she's on to something, but, um, you know, to what you said earlier too, one of the things that I, I intended when I wrote my book was so that families that don't have any neurodiverse children in them could read and understand our role as a parent is so different with our neurotypical children versus our neurodiverse children. And it's, it's so much, there's so much more asked of us than just helping like my daughter with her homework. Skylar's homework never ends. I, I'm like you, I'm his therapist. I'm his spelling to communicate partner um, because our therapist lives out of state and we zoom with her once a week and it's great. And she kind of teaches me more of how to do things better and how to be a better therapist with him. But he has to accept that I'm his mom, I'm his therapist, I'm his teacher. I'm also his respite provider because in the States at 18, since we have no respite, um, I can be paid to be his respite provider. So now I'm being paid to do all the things I do automatically to take care of him and his laundry and his food prep and all that stuff. Um, but I just, we wear so many hats that it doesn't ever end either. And I think people think, like when our kids graduate from high school, they're on to college. And then when they graduate college, they're on their own. It, all the services here in the States end around 21, 22. So then we're really left to our own devices to figure out what to do with our young adults every day, all day. Um, and that never ends either. So we're never not parenting them, I feel like, or giving them therapy. Do you guys have the similar setup in, in Canada where services kind of dry up at a, a young adult age? Uh, of course, we have the similar situation in Canada as well. I think by 21, age 21, I think that's when the services start, I, I guess, drawing out as well. And you're correct. We wear so many hats. You're the mom, you're the teacher, you're the therapist, uh, like, you know, respite care workers, so many things as well. The other thing, um, of course, we struggle with is there's no help. There's no support. I don't know. I struggled with it personally a lot. We had no family in Canada. Mm -hmm. It was like everything, you're doing it by yourself. It's like a huge weight on your shoulders. So I guess that really tires you out. And you're right. Our, our work never finishes. It's a continuous work in progress. So yes, it's, it's really hard. Very similar challenges, uh, US and Canada as well. And particularly, I think as the kids get older, I think the supports start declining mm -hmm. and we need definitely a lot of more supports and services for our children because it doesn't end at 18, as they all say. So definitely, I really hope that we see some of those things put in place for our children as they are growing up. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. It's a, it's a world problem. It, it, it just is so deafening when we need services and we need things. And it's always like, well, we're working on revamping the program. Like, okay, you've been working on that for 15 years. Skylar will be 50 before they change our waiver system or whatever, so that he's eligible for some help when he's an adult. But that's like a whole other <laughs> issue. But um, <laughs> I meant to ask you um, earlier when we were talking about communication, does Arian have any behaviors when he's frustrated that he can't communicate something to you guys, or maybe he's trying and you're not understanding what he's saying. Has he, as a child or as a, um, a teen, does he have behavioral, you know, outbursts sometimes? 
We have been very lucky, uh, Laurie, in terms of uh, Arian's behavior. So he's a very calm uh, child. Mm -hmm. The thing is, Arian doesn't have behavior issues, but Arian struggles with a lot of sensory, sensory issues. Sensory is a big issue for him. So when he's not able to communicate anything or he's frustrated, he starts chewing, chewing on his clothes, chewing on the collars, chewing on the shirts. So I think that's the way he expresses his frustration. And he toe walks, as I already mentioned in mm -hmm. the beginning. So we don't have behavior issues like, you know, aggression or anything like that, but he does struggle with lots of sensory issues. Mm -hmm. So that's very hard because he's growing up as well. So it is so hard uh, to see him, you know, start, start chewing on the clothes mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, how, how are we going to, you know, explain to him, but, you know, we try our best to, you know, stay calm because I think he can sense he's so tuned into me that if I get anxious or stressed out, and I'm sure you must have experienced that as well, they get stressed out. Mm -hmm. So it's so important for us to remain calm. And as soon as we are calm, I think that helps Arian. If I'm calm, that helps him as well to slowly calm down. So we just speak to him in a very soft voice. It's okay. Just try to, you know, give him the iPad because it's hard. It's not a possible to program every word on whether it's touch chat or Proloco to go. So just to, you know, tell him it's okay, just to talk him through that. I think that helps in a big way as well. Mm -hmm. So we do, we are struggling with a lot of sensory, uh, sensory behaviors, sensory issues. It's interesting because my um, spelling to communicate therapist that works with Skylar, she always says that same thing to me. Like it's all about regulating. Like, and it, that to me, I think as a parent in general has been the hardest thing for me to do is because, you know, with my daughter or anyone else, I'd, I'd say, you know, stop doing that or whatever. Like, <laughs> but with Skylar, you're right. The minute I get frustrated when he's we're spelling and he hits me or he pulls my hair or something and he's frustrated. It's human nature to go, Hey, stop pulling my hair. And then you can hear my tone go up a little bit when I'm telling him like spell this word, she told you to spell this word. And it's so hard to just calm myself down. And cause I just have never been that kind of parent. That's like, let's have a conversation about your behavior and why that was a bad choice. That's just not how I am. I, and that works for some people, but it's just never been my thing. Um, I don't yell and scream or spank or anything, but I just, it's hard for me to, when I'm in a, in a mood and someone has triggered me, I'm like, I'm not about thinking instantly to just lower my voice and say, it's okay. You pulled my hair. I know you're frustrated, even though I know that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> it's so hard. No, it is. It is uh, definitely harder. It's so hard. I think they struggle with regulating, as you mentioned, our children, they struggle with regulating and mm -hmm. it's hard sometimes because we have to do this day in and day out. It's not like, you know, do it for two days and it's done. So sometimes if we are all human, it's very natural that sometimes, you know, we get stressed as well. And Sometimes, you know, we might, I guess, raise our voice. I mean, we don't intend to, but it just happens. And so it's it's really hard. But I think uh, we all, I'm sure you, you have done that too. I think we just learn to work around it. Mm -hmm. And uh, because, like I said, you know, Arian can sense my anxiety when I'm anxious or if I'm stressed, he can immediately... Yeah, I think feel it. And then he will start chewing even more. So it mm. is so important at that time for me to just take a couple of minutes and to compose myself. So that way, when he sees me calm, he's he starts getting calmer as well. Mm -hmm. Well, as I had mentioned a little bit ago, you recently started a podcast also called Autism Family Story Podcast. And um, does, does Arian know that you do that? And um, you know, what, what has your experience been so far? Because podcasting is so fun. I'm sure you, you've kind of found that, but. Oh, oh, I love, I love, you know, being on a podcast. I like, I, I took a, um, I think I took a leap of faith when I started this podcast. I think Arian knows, you know, he sees me, you know, I always talk about, you know, I have a, a podcast today. I have a podcast episode releasing today. I have an interview today. But I don't really know whether he understands mm -hmm. that mom is doing a podcast. So the reason I started a podcast, because everybody's story is different. Mm -hmm. Our children on the autism spectrum, every family story is different. 
And, you know, we learn so much. I guess I'm sure you have learned as well. You mentioned you were his therapist as well. So we learn so much over the years. We have so much knowledge that I personally thought I wanted to share that knowledge, as I said, and I wanted to tell my story to other people. I mean, blogging was good, but again, you know, not everybody listens to a podcast, not everybody reads a blog. So I wanted to have my story, uh, I think, be being told in different medium, whether mm -hmm. it's a podcast, whether it is a blog, whether it's on my social media, uh, in Autism Family Story, where I share in all this information. And the whole idea behind this, Laurie, is to build a community for other autism parents so they know that they are not alone. There are other people who are facing the same issues like them. And basically, I want uh, my Instagram or uh, my uh, social media to be a place where other uh, autism parents can connect, share their struggles, share their joys. And that way we form like a community for all autism parents. So that way they don't feel isolated because you and me, we both have seen how I isolating this journey. So that was the whole idea behind starting uh, my podcast or my blog. I love that. And, you know, it's so interesting and you'll find that um, after doing now my third season with this, it's, it's so interesting. The, um, some of the emails and the comments I get, and it's not even what I expected. You know, if, like I did one episode with a mom who had an 18 year old, um, she's a phenomenal person and her son, just his behaviors were over the top. And you might've listened to that episode and she found a facility close to her home and she really wrestled with placing him there and all of that. Um, and I thought that that episode would be impactful just for parents who are at that point where they don't know whether to put, um, you know, or bring a facility in to their family dynamic and, um, you know, place their, their child there. Um, but there were certain things that she said that triggered somebody else. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad she said that one sentence because it, that just changed my whole mindset on whatever we were talking about. So it wasn't even the, the broad topic that I thought would be, that would resonate with a lot of people. It was one little thing she said. So, it, you know, in this episode, it might be, somebody might be listening that has a similar seizure disorder as Arian, and they've not met anybody else that has experienced that and, you know, can reach out to you and connect with you on that level. So that's why I feel like this is so important to do, you know, whether, somebody listens to this episode and they're like, eh, I didn't really learn anything today, but <laughs> maybe they will the next time or whatever. It's just, our stories are so unique, like you said. So it's important to share all. And I'm a new podcaster, Laurie. I don't have so much experience. Like I just started my podcast uh, like four months ago. So I'm still learning. I, I'm doing solo podcast uh, at this time. Mm -hmm. I pick a topic every week. I release a podcast episode every Wednesday. I try to do some short posts on social media to see what kind of issues other parents are struggling with and then try to come up with some uh, episode ideas so that way it is more beneficial. So of course, as you know, I'm a new podcaster. So uh, I still don't have that much, that much exposure at this time, but I'm hoping as the time goes by, Hopefully, you know, other people come to know about my podcast and you're right, you know, there might be something, you know, in that one episode, maybe one sentence, that one thing which resonates with somebody. If that happens, I think um, my job as an autism advocate um, is done. I think yeah. I will consider that to be the most important thing I have done for somebody. Well, that's, that's perfect. That's the exact reason to do it and to make yourself feel better. Sometimes I don't do enough solo episodes. I need to do more um, because I have thoughts all the time and I'm like, I want to just reach out to the masses and say, what am I supposed to do about this situation? And I don't know why I don't do it. I should do more. Um, but, but even those, they're so cathartic to just to write your blog or to do a solo podcast. And because somebody will hear that one and say, oh my gosh, I just went through that exact same thing last week. I feel you. Like I just get it. And just knowing that someone's there to support your feelings and to, you know, resonate, it resonates with them and they've experienced the same thing. Um, that that's a lot too. So, um, well, so what are the things that Arian enjoys and what makes him happy? I'm sure there's a lot that makes him smile. I've seen some of your videos and <laughs> he's a happy kid <laughs> overall. It seems like, uh, yes, thank you so much. You know, really appreciate your support, Laurie. Oh, he's a happy kid. I think, you know, um, 
he he has very very limited interest as i mentioned in the beginning so he loves listening to music any kind of music yeah. constantly calms him down so he loves that you know food uh, he's of course a picky eater but i think snacks chips i think that is one of his favorite like he'll do anything to get those chips you know so that one's and then arian loves uh, watching outside the window that's a very unique uh, thing i don't know if uh, skylar likes that but i think that is something he likes he has been doing that right from the time he was in school because in the school his teachers always used to ask me arian has such limited interest and motivators we really don't know what is he going to work for so looking outside the window was one of his uh, believe it or not reinforcer in the school so looking out of the window and i think he loves going on a drive so he has very limited interest and you know overall like i said he's a very happy kid he's fun to be around and you know he doesn't speak of course he's non verbal but he is so much attached like he loves spending time with us as a family and overall you know we always try our best uh, i guess uh, to keep the you know the even the atmosphere at home that makes a big difference for our children as well how stress free uh, stress free is the atmosphere at home i guess that affects them as well so uh, you know so these are the few things he loves he used to love playing games on the ipad doesn't like that anymore he's not motivated anymore for that mm-hmm. but i think these are the few things he really likes oh that's sweet yeah it's it's funny when you find something like chips that motivate them i i don't know about you but i buy like a case of them because if i can't find those again and that's the only motivator i mean scott really doesn't have any rewards we still all these years can't find one thing that he is motivated to work for that's why toilet training has been such a challenge because there's nothing he is so stubborn and he's just kind of like eh take my alma movie away i don't care like i'm not willing to oh yes you know. i'm like you you know if i find something arian likes i will go and buy multiples of it yeah. and then uh, you know chips is one thing you know which is kind of constant with us but you're right you know if he likes a toy you know he when he was younger he used to love thomas the trains oh uh, yeah watching their faces so i went out and i got all these trains and guess what in a few months he lost interest now he yeah. does, like he never looked at it after that so i guess <laughs> it's so funny you know when they like something we just run to the store and try to buy you know multiples of it that's Hope why i wish that we communicate yeah. better or spell more now i'm so anxious for all of that because like you i um did those th- same things and i wish he could say okay listen just because i smiled and liked it doesn't mean <laughs> like i wanted every thomas there was on the market <laughs> get it like it that much <laughs> save us a lot of trouble if yes. they could tell us oh goodness <laughs> well in your um i mean you have 19 years of parenting but in your 15 years of parenting um arian is there anything that you um would like to go back to your younger self when you were just getting started and, and give yourself a piece of advice that maybe you could give another caregiver that's maybe just getting started on their journey or if they're they're at the same place as you and they haven't haven't thought of this yet Uh, sure so i think my biggest piece of advice for somebody on this journey or starting out this journey is take one day at a time it is so important to take one day at a time secondly take care of yourself i just did a podcast i don't know if you heard a podcast episode i think 2 weeks ago on self care for parents of children with autism because parenting a child with autism is so overwhelming and challenging that it can burn you out so if you don't take care of yourself you're not going to be in a better position to help your child mm-hmm. so that's number 2 and number 3 i think is uh, not i think but i'm 100% sure things will get better things will get better in the long run you just have to give it time mm-hmm. nothing happens overnight you have to work for it and believe in your children i think that's the most important because if you don't believe in your child nobody else will and um, you know i struggle with it i don't know if you struggle with it lori but i've seen you know people making assumptions about arian just because he doesn't speak yes. you know they automatically oh arian won't be able to do this oh arian can't read and i'm like no arian can read and arian is able to do it he only you know cannot show it or he just because he doesn't speak you you won't believe this lori it was so hurtful at one point of time i had to make videos to show to his teachers 
and professionals that Arian was capable of reading, Arian was capable of doing X, Y, Z. And as a parent, I think that was the most hurtful thing I've experienced. So my, this is my message, you know, take one day at a time, take care of yourself so you don't burn out and advocate for your child and believe in them. Those are the most important things for any parent Aww. on this journey. I love that so much. And you're right. They're, they're all underestimated, whether they're verbal or not. Every single day, people underestimate our kids, our young adults, and they, you know, just place them in this one box that they're not capable of functioning in traditional society, whatever that means. Um, and it's so unfair. It's so unfair. So it's parents like you who are being loud and proud and, you know, showing all the other side of autism and, and how remarkable our kids are. So thank you so much for doing that for your blog, your podcast, and your openness and candor with everyone listening um, about Arian and how special he is. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Laurie. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me here today. And you are doing a lot as well. I, I, I see your social media. I, I'm about to get your book. I'm really excited. Uh, you know, I want to really, I, I, I did a little bit of, I think, uh, I think I, a sample on, I think the Kindle or Amazon. I just looked at the sample, but I'm really, really curious. I've heard a lot about your book. So I am interested in giving that a read and you're doing a lot as well. I learn a lot. That's how I came across uh, your page on uh, social media. Um, and you know what, I, I learn a lot from other autism parents as well. I think it's, it's our community, we support each other mm -hmm. and we are here to advocate for our children because they are capable just like anyone else. I always say that our children are capable, they can learn and never ever underestimate them. I think that is the most important message. And thank you so much for having me uh, on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. So thank you so much. And um, we, we just continue to build our village one person yes. at a time, right? <laughs> yes, that's correct. That's well, take care and have a great day. Thank you, Laurie. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.